Let's talk sport with RTL Today Radio. Moya and Scott Brown here from Let's Talk Sports. The 18th of February. This is show number 171. We are live in the studio, number four up in Kirchberg. You can catch this uh, on the replay tomorrow at 10 a.m. And then you can also hit it up on Spotify. This evening, I am joined by Karen Waters. Karen, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Thanks for the invite, Scott. It's always a pleasure. Never a chore. Um, and we were just discussing before we came on about your name, Waters. It's obviously Canada, Alberta. I was told that. I haven't guessed that, you know. Um, but your name's spelt differently. Where does that originate from? Well, uh yeah, a guess of Canada would be very difficult because what is a Canadian name? Because Canada is a melting pot of different nationalities. But my grandparents came from the Flemish part of Belgium. So Wouters um, is how they say it. Uh, and I was always confused when my relatives came over. How come they can't say our name correctly? But yes, uh, the F- Flemish part of Belgium. Well, there you go. Now, normally I start things off and I give you 30 seconds to basically who you are, how you ended up in Luxembourg. Just to give you a bit of an oversight, we linked up through Little Lions a couple of years ago and you're a big part of the curling uh, movement, I guess, out here. And yeah, so yes, spill the beans. 30 seconds about yourself, off you go. Hey, love that it's a curling movement. Uh, Came to Luxembourg, I chose it because I thought it'd be a great place to learn French and uh, work in an international environment as a chartered accountant like many people here. That's what drew me here. Life carries on and um, I learned to play curling in Luxembourg. I am not one of those Canadians that everybody thinks everybody in Canada curls. That might be true, but I'm not one of those. Curling, I learned to do in Luxembourg. And so my passion is to make it something for everybody in Luxembourg. Well, I've well, I've been lucky enough. I remember coming down a while back with a few of the rugby guys. And you obviously got these big, I wouldn't say muscly, because some of them aren't muscly, certainly big guys and stuff. And from the outside, I don't think there's a more simple looking sport in the world. But then once you get on the ice, it's completely different. You even have, I mean, you would assume that the ice is flat, but it's not the case in curling, is it? Hey, Scott, I'm impressed. You yeah. remembered these I did things. a bit of research before I got you on, you know. <laughs> and you've obviously, so, um, I mean, the assumption is that the ice is always flat, but it's not. You've got these tiny little dimples. It's almost like the... We call them the pebble. The pebble. Yes, and it's critical to a great curling game. So um, you always have to remember in curling that the ice maker is God. So treat them nicely because your game will depend on how well the ice has been prepared. And preparing the ice is one of the key things to the game. And the pebble is putting a little drop of warm water, like sprinkling it with a shower head. And uh, that's what the rock will run over. And that's what also will help you slide and glide on the ice. And then, well, obviously, everyone knows who's uh, watching in, in layman's terms. You watch the, the the stone, the rock. You can call it a stone. You can call it a rock. But okay. uh, it's not just a little stone or rock. That's it's heavy. a 20-kilo piece of granite yeah. that um, actually comes from only one island outside of Scotland called Ilse Craig. And that's what they do there is they mine the granite for making curling rocks. Amazing. I mean, that was actually another part. You'll soon get uh, that there's no real chronological order. You know, we just jump around it. Now that you've, you've, uh, as I said, we go off on a tangent here, but so it originated in Scotland. That's what history says. You know, you might get some debate, but uh, the biggest... uh, findings are yes it was 1700 on the locks of scotland throwing huge boulders it's interesting because the scots have come up with some cool sports you know when you think about it obviously curling rugby sevens which is obviously the uh the shortened format of the game of 15s and then golf you know as well so there you go um but back to what we were saying so you obviously slide the rock down and when you see them with the brush are they essentially trying to remove those ripples Pebbles. Pebbles, sorry. Pebbles. <laughs> Forgive my ignorance. Pebbles, 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 pebbles. Yeah, it's rule of seven. Rule pebble. of seven. We're going to make the yeah. ripples, ripple effect. Huh? <laughs> and so when they're, you're obviously, you're creating that friction, are you trying to remove those so the the rock will then slide further or? 
Yeah. So in all sports, there's a little bit of physics. And that is part of the physics in curling is uh, you're creating friction. So you are not tickling the ice with the broom. This is not just an easy little push the broom over the ice. It's full body weight on top of the broom, rapid movements, so that you are both crushing the pebble with the material that's on the broom, but you're also creating enough friction to melt it. What that does is allows the curling stone to continue to slide further, and it will also keep it straighter. There you go. Because I've seen, obviously, you can, you, well, you, you hold on to it and you can twist it. Look, before we get into this, we always, uh, <laughs> we always start things off with the, the show number and, and, and sport in the history of the world. Um, number 171, would you believe? Did you know that you can't check out in a game of darts if you're on 171? So, you know, the, the highest number you can check out from is, in fact, 170. Another interesting one, there are no male footballers or female international footballers who finished their career on 171 appearances. Uh, there was a, a young lady called Haman Preet Kaur from India, and she scored 171 ones versus Australia. This is in the shortened format of the game, so what we call the one day is 50 overs for each team, as opposed to the five-day... Uh, monstrosity to some but being a purist i absolutely love it um the rimac nevera has a top speed of 171 miles per hour not that fast here's the twist it's a fully electric hypercar and that is its top speed in reverse so that's that's absolutely mental. Um, in for any of those sports scientists out there if you are if your heart rate gets up above or two 171 beats a minute you are working in your anaerobic training zone um 171 in centimeters is five for eight uh and there was a chap called alberto lopo spanish footballer he played for espanol deportiva and Getafe in la liga and he picked up 171 yellow cards in his professional career so there you go there's the numbers as we always say to start things off uh on this day 18th of february kenya played their first international um in uh in one day cricket against india and uh, a certain mr sachin tendulka in fact scored 127 that was in 96 now in 1979 this was the 21st daytona 500 um richard petty won um, after the two chaps ahead of him crashed uh, on the last lap of the 500-mile race. The significance of the Daytona 500 is that one of our former guests, Gilles Linster, is in fact racing there this weekend. And he's the first, um, obviously, Luxembourger to race in it. We've had Gilles on a couple of times. I also got beaten by him in a squash match, but I had a bad ankle, so it doesn't really count. Um, it takes place out in Florida. Uh, obviously in the US and it is race number uh, 66 and uh, for those uh, I guess film critics or film nuts out there the Grand Marshal um, who will start off the the excitement if you like is none other than Dwayne The Rock Johnson who we're all very familiar with now the Grand Marshal basically has to come up and say arguably the most uh, the, the most important four words in motorsport drivers start your engines and that's basically the role of the uh, grand uh, the grand marshal but uh, also they say you know so there you go there's the numbers for you birthdays today roberto baggio italian footballer fifa world player of the year in 1993 sir bobby robson who obviously has passed on now legendary english football coach and nothing to do with sport it is john travolta's birthday what a legend huh so <laughs> there we go saturday night <laughs> yeah exactly i come back and my my partner rebecca always has it on and i'll like, have a glance and he was he was good at what he does but he was a dancer by trade wasn't he, was he before he got became an actor see I, we always talk about this with Nathan. If you ever set up a pub quiz team, I would, I'd have a good, I'd be uh, worth your, worth your money, you know, because I feel I've got that all-round general knowledge about this sort of stuff. But um, anyway, um, after all that trivia and all those numbers, just information overload. I pick you, but information overload. I'm feeling bad. I didn't have a one seven one number. I could only. I'm glad you threw in a sixty six because uh, I can now say there's seventy three countries that belong to world curling there's there you go there's some stats for it. i'm gonna write that down <laughs> i'll put that on uh i'll put that on our social media uh, media post so listen let's let's get back into this curling how how did you get into it 
I got into curling um, as looking for something to do in Luxembourg and to become part of a social group after work. And I had a Scottish colleague and said, she said, hey, let's go curling. And, and was there anything, any, any, you know, is there any provision out here for it, you know, when you first started it? Or was it just a case of, you know, flood the garden and uh, <laughs> and see how we go? Oh, yeah. You know how well we get frozen water oh. in uh, Luxembourg. Country stops. Uh, yeah. No, here's a number for you. Uh, curling, actually, the first curlers that we have awareness of in Luxembourg were 1972. They were Korean war veterans that went to an international event in Courcheval and came home with the gold medal. So in 1974, the Ville de Luxembourg was about to um, break ground for the new ice arena, which we have today, Kolkoshoyer. Um, and they said, hey, we're, we brought home the gold. We need to have curling facilities here. So when the ice arena opened in 1976, there are two dedicated sheets for curling within the facility. So Luxembourg has dedicated curling facility. And uh, that's where we went. We went to Kokelschweier, where there was a group of, just like our country, it's mixed nationalities, probably a lot of Canadians, a lot of Swiss, because that's something that's common uh, to them from back home being a game that's more popular there. And uh, the story goes from there. As they say, the rest is history. So obviously you say you've got two, do we call them lanes? Two lanes? Sheets. Sheets. Okay, two sheets. Um how many how many players in a team? So in a regular team, there are four players. Um, and a team, the success of any team is the success of how well those individuals work together. So it, you would have one individual that would deliver a rock, two individuals that would be sweeping, and one individual that would be calling the play that we call the skip. Um, those roles, except for the skip role, during the match will change. So every player will deliver two stones. So you're always active. A sheet of curling is, now you got me into numbers. A sheet of curling is 140 meters long. Jeez. And that means that I am delivering a rock of 20 kilos down 140 um, meters to 100. 40 meters. How about 40? Let's go with 40. That's a little bit more reasonable. Look, you could have told me 140 <laughs> and I would have believed you there. I was like, that's, that's, that's big. Because I remember one. seeing the one at Cockershaw. I was like, is that 140 meters? I'm not nah. going to call Karen out on it, but yeah, go on. That's okay. I'll call myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and to a target. And the target is called the house. The house. And I think uh, I'm just going to deviate from numbers. The house, I think taxonomy, the words you use are very important. And it's called a house, en français, la maison. Uh, and that means to me that I am inviting you to come play curling and to come to my house because it's an inclusive sport. It is for everybody. Yeah. Everybody can play. So just uh, keep that in your head when we talk about who's curling for. So your target is called a house. Um, any of the rocks that arrive in the house are eligible to score a point. But then here we'll make some comparisons to Patonk. It's a bit like the scoring of Patonk. Only one team can score. It's not darts. You don't get extra yeah, yeah, marks yeah. for colors. But the closest to the center, the team with the number of rocks closer to the center than the other will score for that end. So our game is divided into ends. And an end is each team delivering their eight rocks. So we come back, four players on a team, eight rocks to a team. Each player, therefore, will play two rocks. They're played in alternating fashion, team A, team B, team A, team B. So there's always one team that has the last rock. And in curling, that's called the hammer. So to win the hammer is an important um advantage yeah. in the game and each of those teams play you play the end you look at what the result is the result goes up on the scoreboard and then you play in the opposite direction so you play another end so a normal game would be eight ends the accumulated score at the end would be the winner and 
it's also a tactical and technical uh, tactical game because you're going to decide, do I play defensive, offensive, depending on what your score is? Where are you at in the game? How do you think the other team is reacting to the ice? Uh, how well are the players so on just that Just a question game? of throwing uh, or... Delivering. Delivering. Delivering your first, uh, your first stone and trying to get it in the middle because if you do that, then I'll probably... Chuck it with a bit more force down there and try and bump it out of the way, is it? Or? That's a... Wow. I think you're ready for the game. Yeah. Tactics are thinking already. We're going to have already. a game now after. <laughs> We're going to finish after. Yeah, that's what would happen, is if I put something in the middle, well, obviously, I can take it out. So there was... Um, that's what the top teams used to do. And whoever then had the last rock at the end of the eight would win because uh, it was zero, 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 and then you take your last rock. In order to make the game a little bit more exciting and to not make it um, too predictable once uh, teams are of equal technical level, they introduced the five rock free guard zone, which means that if your first five rocks played are not inside the house, they are in front of the house, acting as protectors, guardians of the house, the other team may not take them out of play, which then allows for a more intricate and tactical game because you have to play in behind or you have to push them in. And so it's not just an open house uh, where you can play that. I like brute force and hit it and hammer it. (laughs) So you got four players per team, men's, women's and mixed. So, Uh, There's men's worlds, women's worlds, and there's a mixed team worlds. There is no mixed team at the Olympics. So at the Olympics, we have men's and women's. But we also have another discipline, um, which, uh, like many sports, looking for something that made the sport more attractive to the youth, making it a faster game. We have a two-person discipline, which is called doubles. In doubles, it's one man, one woman. Um, you throw your own rocks, you sweep your own rocks, it's a faster game. You're only playing six rocks, but it's a faster um, process. I mean, I think that's, funnily enough, that's one topic I was going to come on to because, as you know, the younger generation these days, you know, most like myself, can't sit still. Uh, So asking them to watch, I mean, how long would a a game of eight ends normally take? Could be two and a half hours. Yeah, exactly. It's a long time. So if you can condense a you know a uh, a sport you know a sport or a match into a shorter period of time you just look at that that's that's the way a lot of sports are going rugby sevens you play tournament style you play lots of games lots of matches see lots of players um football will, will always stay it's basketball they've gone down the three on three route now um you know you've got these sort of sudden death you know trying to up the ante cricket's a good one they've gone you know they've gone down the one day route now they've gone then they went t20 now they've got these t10 tournaments so it's just like a big whack it as hard and as far as you can and it's again trying to trying to you know we're all i always say as a as a smaller sport as a minority with we're sort of at the at the at the bottom of the table fighting for the scraps of football and the major sports and stuff and if we can pick up anything anyone from these these new initiatives then you know it's only only a good thing um as uh you know moving on to sort of the olympics so here's some more stats for you okay first time it was in the olympics was 1924 but it actually then had a very very long break and didn't reappear till 1998 certainly when you see curling it is one of those traditional sports which is is great to see but the way sport has evolved, like if I take example, I mean, I've got a bugbear about uh, breakdancing being in the Summer Olympics now because to me it's not an Olympic sport. Is that the sort of, is that happening now in, with the Winter Olympic sports? Are they trying to evolve it and bring more different sports in or is curling safe in terms of the, uh, the Winter Olympics? I think curling is safe in terms of the Winter Olympics now. Uh, I think one of the issues that it faced previously is that we didn't have that 73 country number. Um, 85% of your world curlers are located in Canada. Now, that doesn't mean that's where all of your top curlers are, but those populations in other countries are much smaller. And curling's come back. It's come back strong. The addition of the mixed doubles uh, is an Olympic discipline, and so that's made it... 
now you don't have to bring a team of four. So, you know, in the Olympics, it's also counting how many people are going to be on site at the village. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. If you can have smaller teams, that's also better. So I think curling's safe now. And I'm just going to go back to your 98 Nagano um, because it's a number. But I sat uh, and played at a curling tournament, out, a big outdoor tournament in Switzerland in the beginning of January. Just fantastic. Um, 19 curling sheets across the front. And you play there with teams that are from your local village to past Olympians. And who did we sit with? The uh, We didn't get to play them, but we did sit with them. The 98 Nagano Olympic gold medalists. Really? And they are still a team. That is what I think is fantastic, is uh, just that linkage. So numbers go back to people. And so I, I, I think that's a good explanation, too, of, you know, you've got your Olympic medalists coming out and still promoting the sport in all kinds of different venues. I mean, if you want to go deeper into that sort of topic, that fundamentally probably doesn't actually come down to that person, but it comes down to the person that got them into curling or got them engaged in sport, which sort of, I guess, epitomises the importance of the sport you know, in schools and such, because I can I've I've talked about this before on the show. I can certainly relate back to my sports teachers because look, I'm you know that's what I do now and I'm what I will do forever. Um, so that's like a testament to, and that would be the one question I would ask them: who, what, who's the reason you 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 stayed in sport? And it will be it will be somebody, whether it's a teacher, it might be a parent or a relative or someone, but someone who had that sporting background and knows the benefit of you know yeah. playing sport and such i usually take the opportunity every world tournament or anywhere we go to ask the young players why are you curling and what kept you here and very often in curling it will be um because i had a parent we we followed we curled it was just where you belonged you belonged at the rink or it's yes i had that uh friend who took me along and uh it was a great coach and it intrigued me in terms of uh you know venues that's always a tricky one because it is a it is a specialist sport that requires a specialist venue unfortunately are they content to leave it as it is or is it i mean you've obviously got the other ice rink up in beaufort uh which isn't open all year round it will that get something added to it do you know or is it yeah is it just going to be in cockershaw for now I think we're right now we're in Kolkoshoyer. Kolkoshoyer uh, is also discussing expansion um, because the ice arena limits for all ice sports are becoming very constrained. That was built in 1976 for a, a Luxembourg city that had a very different population Jesus, at that point. 50 years ago. Exactly. So our our country population has expanded significantly um, and all of the ice sports are clamoring for more space. So I think we'll see some expansion there, whether it will expand out into other communes, you know, is the uh, eight swimming pool complex in Belleville got a, ha, does it have a place for turning one swimming pool into an ice arena? Maybe. Those are all discussions that are happening. There's all kinds of different alternatives. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about how do we keep the sport living because winter sports, there's the big discussion on climate change. Are we going to have skiing? Are we going to have some of these winter sports in the future if climate changes? And is it right to create chemical snow and um, play with play with uh, Mother Nature on some of these things? But curling, as like many other sports, is looking for alternatives and has just announced that floor curling will become or is now recognized as a world curling discipline. And we have countries like Nigeria that has no ice that were present at the Winter Youth Olympics a couple of weeks ago because they play floor curling and they start with that and then they go off and train on ice. But Or Hong Kong, where it is huge um, leagues of floor curlers. So there's some alternatives. It's not exactly the same game, but it does at least allow a greater um, footprint for the sport and a beginning of an awareness. So you don't need to have the ice to start. 
So if, just to be clear, floor curling would be indoor in a sports hall. Yes, thank right? you, yeah, yeah. Scott. No, no, not at all, not at all. Um, that's very interesting. I mean, ultimately, any I, I'm a, I've said this before. I don't believe anybody hates sport. I believe that you haven't found your sport yet. And I think if you're open-minded enough to go and try different sports, then I think it's... Uh, yeah, I, well, you know, I think it's absolutely a good thing. Now, in terms of you said the the is that the Winter Youth Olympics? Yeah. And where was that? This was that was that this year? Is that every year? Every two years? It's or? every two years, I believe. And it was in. Now you're going to stump me. I think it was in Korea. <laughs> I mean, it's. I think you can. I mean, we run school trips and for sporting tournaments, and you can't put you can't put a value on their development from firstly being outside the school environment um you know and getting to meet new people go to new countries experience new cultures maybe even getting an absolute hiding and getting absolutely thumped in every every game you play because that ultimately makes you resilient because you're not just going to the hope is you're not just going to stop just because you got absolute pumped you know um it'll drive you forward yeah that's but you gotta you know that's all you know there's a big you know, you can go again as as is always the way. You can go into a deeper topic and talk about how people need to learn to fail because ultimately that's what gets you back up on the horse, doesn't it? In sport or in in absolutely anything, you know. And if you always succeed and you don't know how to fail, that could be. It your makes worst. it worse when you do fail, you exactly. know. Exactly. the famous Michael Jordan one, isn't he? You know, I've missed over three thousand shots. I've failed over so many times in my life, but and that's why I succeed. I think it's a great way to. Uh, to, to put it obviously look major tournaments is always a big big talking point for Luxembourg I think yeah. you'll get you know you, you get some athletes getting recognition but ultimately you need you know we need somebody to go and turn heads at an Olympics or a, you know the football to qualify for a European or a World Cup or even uh, or even you know in basketball or in, in handball or volleyball these perceived stronger sports and stuff yeah. so um, yeah, where have you been to European Championships and such? Of course. So, is Luxembourg podium ready? Is that your question? <laughs> yes, we have. So, curling has a different philosophy in terms of a lot of the world and European events are open entry. So, there'll be the A, B, and C levels, but it's open entry. So, Luxembourg has been to the Europeans over the years playing in different levels. Uh, probably the highest we've ever finished is in the late 90s in eighth place in the Europeans, which is just missing out on going to the world. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. So, going to the worlds, you need to be in the top eight of uh, the Europeans to then go forward to the um, worlds. The. Um, and there's lots of different opportunities. There's the men's, there's the women's, there's the mixed doubles. There are juniors. Um, so under 21 is juniors. Also open entry, always happening in Finland, whether you want to make it up to Finland. But I, I think it'd be fun to go to Finland. Um, we also have, and we haven't touched on that, uh, we're also part of the Luxembourg Paralympic movement. Um, for mix, or Wheelchair curling is their first winter discipline uh we're starting to build the teams we don't have enough for a full team yet but we're working on it so uh yes we have gone to worlds we've been to the mixed worlds uh that takes place every year with mixed teams we've been to the europeans we're not quite ready for the uh world podium yet but we want to build on that and that's why one of our objectives is growing the youth base I mean that's the hardest bit, isn't it? Because ultimately, you're you've got your your traditional sports, if you like, and and then you've got the minority sports such as curling, rugby, squash, you know, uh, cricket, or other ones as well. Um, and I guess it's you. It's even more important that when you do manage to get these youngsters interested, it's that you keep hold of them, you know, because there isn't a big, you know, endless. Um, endless supply of it so let, let's just give this some context if you're let's say right because we, we, ultimately when we finish this show we're going to talk about this afterwards so if i came to you and said yep yeah, karen bring them in what age group do you want to target yep yeah, let's do it in pe 
Term three, we'll do it in, we'll do floor curling over maybe three or four weeks, you know, get them competent at the movement and stuff like that. And then the fifth week, we want to come down to the ice and, you know, chuck some stones about. <laughs> and um, yeah, where do we, you know, they enjoy it. Where, where do you go? Is there a, where, where's our tournament, uh, you know, that we're aiming for in the summer or such? Okay. So, uh, Ultimately, if we're looking for an immediate team to go into the juniors, 14 to 16 is the age band. But we, for the floor curling, can start at six years old or before six years old. They can all come on the ice eventually. Yeah. And if you look at uh, little tags on the, the curlers at the world, started curling age four, started curling age six. But many of them started curling later as well. And it's that age um, 14 years old where... The 20 kilo rock is something that you're going to be able to control. Yeah. So that's the age group that we're targeting. In terms of opportunities to go and play, there are tournaments that take place around our greater region. Uh, we often go to Belgium. There's a Belgian league that we play in, so you can be part of the Belgian league. There are um, junior tournaments that take place at the Worlds in December and in January. Um, there are opportunities through the International School Federation. Um, they do a lot of... I follow them on Instagram, actually. There you go. Enough. And uh, I think it's six years ago, they started their first winter um, program mm. where curling was added. So where you would go and you would play as part of an international group. So you go and represent Luxembourg, but then after you're mixed into teams with others. So I think the ISF program is really great. Uh, they've... The next, uh, I think, is next year in Turkey will be the next winter ISF program. Oh, very So good. that's a, another opportunity for us. And, you know, there, there's no limit on the tournaments that you can get involved in. So it's really, Switzerland, for example, has a whole series of tournaments because they're much more developed uh, in the Swiss curling space. And that's not so far away for us to yeah. actually go and have high-level competition. And I mean, ultimately, if you it's just it, we always say it, it's all about bums on seats. More people you can get involved in it, doing it is you know it gives stands you in in better stead. Um, and then is there a, so you say there's a World Championships, European Championships, uh, the Olympics as well. Is there a World Cup or anything like that or? There's a world tour, uh, so that happens uh, in different formats where teams are gathering points because the points that will also be used in looking at their different rankings for different competitions. So there's a world tour. And, and those, like this weekend in Tallinn, is the, a world tour cup for mixed doubles. Ah. Very so they'll good. be for different disciplines. I mean, we're, we'll we'll come back to this, I've no doubt, especially with the school side of things. You know, any opportunity that the kids have to try a new sport, but then also compete in that new sport is, uh, I think, absolutely fantastic. Um, is it all amateur? Uh, so I think uh, there are very few full-time professional curlers. Um, even in Canada, they are individuals who have their job on the side. Yeah. And, but we see a movement of towards having professionals. So some of the top teams right now, Scotland, Sweden, they are full-time curlers. And that makes a difference. Uh, the Italian team, for example, uh, they all have been part of the army program that Built them up. The old loophole, you know, for that, <laughs> for that one. Um, so, at like, to, to obviously, how often do you currently practice at the moment? Okay, I've been lax this year, but normally we'd be out on the ice. I'd be out on the ice three times a week. Okay. Uh, we have club sessions Sunday mornings and Monday and Wednesday evenings. But I spend also a lot of time out on the ice making sure that there's somebody there to guide uh, school sports or to guide yeah, um, yeah, yeah. corporate team building Uh so that we're we're allowing and giving people the opportunity to try the sport. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so obviously you're practicing. And how often do you currently play in the Belgium League? Then we're currently playing with two Luxembourg teams in the Belgian League, and that's um, two or three weekends 
over the four month period. Okay. So there's. A I mean, that is one of the killers with minority sport in Luxembourg is the travel. Unfortunately, it's not like football or basketball, you know, where you can play, you can be going to the next commune to play your fixtures and stuff like that. You've got to go so far for for uh, these, you know, ultimately these facilities that can host such a, such an event. So, you know, if you could get another rink then uh, or another facility, it's going to make life hell Another amazing. facility <clears throat> here, if we had a four-sheeter of curling that was a standalone where we have our own humidity control and because the ice is very different than uh, hockey ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we had that, we would have the ability to also be a host. Ah, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> so it's got to be four, four sheets. It, the minimum requirement for world curling to host tournaments is three. Um, but if you have only three sheets, the amount of teams that you can have is more limited with yeah. four sheets you can have a better tournament in a shorter time frame and therefore only need a weekend rather than also needing a friday so four sheets is the best so obviously our conversation's been quite serious so just to make it a bit <laughs> obviously you're be, you're you're from canada is it not like the ultimate insult to a canadian to not play ice hockey and do curling instead or i don't know how does that how does that work? How do they compare it? Yeah. <laughs> do you have a team that you follow in ice hockey as well? No, I have to I have to say I've been out of Canada for a long time. Um, but my memories of curling was every Saturday or curling. Wasn't curling. We were watching the NHL. Yeah. Uh, and it would have been every Saturday night was NHL hockey. Uh, but then it would have been the old pre expansion teams now i'm really dating myself scott <laughs> well i mean it's it, i think it's one that's not at the nhl's not as well known over here obviously the nfl is the the uh the big one especially with taylor swift apparently while well, chatting about this last week apparently she's but her relationship with the guy has is worth something like 300 million dollars that's what they reckon the additional money that her presence at these pictures from her fans and stuff was brought in. Like, that's yeah. crazy, isn't it? Hey, but if you haven't really heard of the NHL, have you heard of the PWHL? No. Professional Women's Hockey League that ah. has just started up this year. Although my daughter would say, Mom, how come they're not just NHL too? And why do we have to have women in the name? But there's another question and another avenue to follow. Another, po another <laughs> podcast by the sound of things over there. Oh, it's about time they uh, that there was a women's uh, a women's league, obviously that started up for that. Because hockey was very dominated by the boys and the men. There wasn't a place for women in. I would still say it's very heavily male male dominated now, is it? But obviously, if you've now got that provision, that avenue for for young ladies to go down, then you know all all credit to them. But um, is that um, is is that? Uh, uh, is, would you see the same trend in curling as well or is that much more inclusive in terms of the male and female representation curling and that's one thing we had we, had, we talked inclusive at the very beginning but uh curling is very equal the men and women obviously women men have different physical structure that gives them greater strength for that ultimate sweeping and the hurry hard yeah yeah, yeah. but the, it's a more of an equal game but even in the statutes of curling, the representation of countries to vote and uh, represent their country to the World Curling Federation itself, you must have equal number of men and women as representatives. Oh, really? So I like that. <laughs> I think that's a, a plus for our sport. Oh, absolutely. And when, uh, so obviously you've been, you've been curling, do you say? Is that just the yep. term that rolls on? You've been curling for a while now. Um, how have you, you know, when have you seen the greatest change? You know, was it when you first started out? Was it more recently? Was it, you know, is there a certain period where you've seen a lot of, I guess, where you've gathered more momentum in terms of curling? In Luxembourg itself, uh, when we, the biggest momentum comes when you have a coach and you have a good coach. Uh, and there's that dynamic that starts to flow. So I think the importance of having a qualified coach 
that will spend sufficient time in Luxembourg is important. So Luxembourg's gone through different cycles in the development of the sport uh, where we haven't been as active and we're building up again. And we're bringing in, we do not have a full-time coach right now, but we are bringing in some pro coaches uh, to do some weekends or to do some um, just spot checking so with work, different teams. Workshops and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. And it it makes a big difference. So I think the presence of professional coaches is critical to the growth of the sport. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where unfortunately sport has evolved over the last five ten you can wherever you want to whatever number you want to put on it you it's you know it's opposite ends of the spectrum um you know in professional sports uh coaches is something that makes a huge difference because you've basically got somebody whose job it is to make you better and get more people involved don't get me wrong i think we always i will do it at the end of the show I'll always give a shout out to the volunteers i think they have their place but also i do think that sports if they really want to kick on they need that investment i mean that's the hardest thing with sport is you're gonna from a financial point of view you put that investment into it but you're not really it's very difficult to recoup that money after you've put it into it and i think that's that's also the trouble is a lot of these a lot of these smaller federations try and run themselves like businesses, but ultimately you can't run it like that, you know, because you are you 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 get that funding um, from from certain federations or sponsorship and such. Actually, that's going to roll into my next question. So the next Winter Olympics, obviously in Italy, in Milano, Cortina in twenty twenty six. First question is, what do we have to see? Uh, in terms of success to see Luxembourg have a team at it and secondly does your performance affect your funding or how does that process come about you're allowed to talk about that I don't know (laughs) (laughs) okay is is Luxembourg podium ready for well not necessarily podium ready but what tournament so what tournament do you have to go to and where would you have to finish to automatically get a spot because undoubtedly if you just miss out i'm sure there's some sort of repechage qualifier that can get you in or something like that there are different qualifying events but uh so this is now the two-year period for counting points so you presence at the olympics is based on a points table points are achieved by attending and your position at the world curling events so you need to be at the world curling event If you don't get to the World Curling event in the A category, you don't have a chance. When you say World Curling event, that's one event. That is one event per year, which you build up to uh, curling runs to qualifications into the world event, the annual world championship, one for Pacifics and one for... Uh, Europe. Else. <laughs> well, actually, the Pacifics is the everywhere else, and Europe is oh, the okay. uh, fair old. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So that means you've got in in Europe itself, we have an A, B, and C level. Luxembourg's currently in the C level. It would mean, but in any one year, you are able to move from C just to all the way to A. You wouldn't be able to win A, but you'd be able to move into A. Yeah. But in realistically, because we're not in A now, uh, a two-year period to be able to accumulate enough points to get to the Olympics is too short. We need at least another two. Cycle. Yeah, yeah. An, another cycle. Yeah. At least another cycle. Okay. So, but let's, let's, you know, let's discredit all that. Let's imagine we rock up to this first. Is there, there's some sort of tournament that qualifies us for the world event. Is that right? Yeah. So we go to the Europeans. Yeah. We win the Europeans. We're off to the worlds. Okay. What if you don't win the Europeans? What? Top six, did you say? Is top it? eight. Top eight. So top eight qualifies you for that world event. That obviously puts you at the bottom division and then where would you have to finish in the a category to then qualify for the olympics um and that's where it doesn't it depends because if every year the same teams end up in the top they're going to have more points so it's based on points so i could if we finished uh fifth this year 
maybe we'd still be able to go. It depends on what the points are and how they mix and match. Because if Sweden, Scotland and Switzerland win every year, they're going to be accumulating a lot of points. But if those get dispersed because Turkey, um, Luxembourg and France win, then it's a different mix. So but you would theoretically need to be in the top five. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, very good. I mean, it's just interesting to try and break down that process because I'd imagine ultimately that's the goal, but there's a fair amount of planning and training and competing uh, to get those results to to hopefully get to that stage. Um, The other question I was going to ask is obviously, look, this is about money. It's about funding at the end of the day. You know, if you were, if you were in, if you had your your three wishes, you know what would they what would they be? What would you, how would you change it? Because ultimately, with curling, this is not a short term fix. You know, I could I could pump ten billion into curling now. It isn't going to get Luxembourg to the Olympics next week. That's just not how it works. There has to be a like a you know perspective, a, a different look on it, if you like, in terms of how you're going to try and. There is, but it's a it's a four person team or a two person team. So if we said our objective is to get a mixed doubles team, you can and you find those key athletes. So it's identifying those athletes and you pump that 10 million into them. Yeah, they will be at the Olympics in not this cycle, but the next cycle. I'm sure you could do it. Yeah. If you've got, if you've identified those right athletes and you've supported them, because you only need two, and a lot of countries in curling have a very small, high elite program. Curling is a sport for the masses. It's a leisure sport with the ability to have high performance. So it's really about, um, for me. I would like to see curling become a, a school sport where kids would actually participate in curling instead of doing badminton or volleyball or and that they understand that the sport exists. And that's all long term, as you said, it's not going to drive us tomorrow. And that we also start to identify some transition because there are skills in curling, like the core control um, or tactical thinking that can come from other sports. Yeah. So maybe because it's a short path to getting to the Olympics, we need to look at transitioning. Stealing, exist- stealing from other sports. It's, it's That's not stealing, you- <laughs> transitioning. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm rugby, that's my sport, but there's been a big, probably the biggest growth in rugby is women's sevens. Now, some of these ladies have come from different sports and the Aussies are notorious for it. You get netball players and, and such like that. And because they have such good spatial awareness, you can teach them, you know, the physicality side of stuff. And actually rugby sevens is a lot less physical than, than the 15s, than it's, it's big brother or big sister, if you want to call it that. Um, but yeah, and if I would encourage you to watch any format, watch the women's sevens because some of, especially like the Aussies and the Kiwis, they are good, and it's good to watch. It's a really, really good, good product. The trouble with the fifteens with the women's rugby, in my opinion, is it's it's. I don't want to say it's boring, but it's closed shop because it's dominated by three or four countries in the world because there's no professionals you've got your england your new zealand your france maybe they're all professional the other australia um the other countries are working their way up um but you know that that ultimately you can't compete if you're professional and you're and you're uh, you're not professional at that level it makes a huge difference it does make a huge difference and so i think that's the other thing is investing in um proper coaching and ensuring that we have a long-term investment. It's not just a one year by one year. It's a long-term. And that comes back to your return on investment. No, we cannot show that investing in this sport now is going to pay off in six years' time. It is a long-term to build those. Is it? Would it be self-funded? Like if you went to European Championships, would you be funding it? We have been self-funding. Yeah, okay. If you uh, went to the European Championship 
and turned some heads and did really well and got your fifth place or whatever, would that get you more access to funding? You know, like, is it performance based? It is for elite. Would be there'd be more individual funding uh, for your elite athletes who are part of the team. Okay. Okay. So ultimately, it's uh, again you you can go really deep into this. It's like yes, it gets more access for those elite athletes, but what we really need is more for access everybody. for you know more provision for so everybody can can certainly get involved in it. Um, obviously, it's not always all serious on this show, but I know we're obviously going to follow up this conversation about a few other bits uh, in terms of the schools and stuff. Because ultimately, if you can get the get the, I think it's one thing to and, and having been in schools, I think it's it's all well and good you coming in and offering something like curling but there needs to be a carrot at the end of it it's not just doing a sport for the sake of it it's like well let's do this sport and then have a, the opportunity to do it and then go to a tournament and compete against somebody like that i think that's a really cool uh, would be a really cool uh, initiative like a school um, tournament there you go well, could you imagine huh <laughs> could you imagine um we always ask our guests a couple of funny questions um so let's imagine we've uh, I, I know you're saying in two years time it won't happen so let's say in six years time you're off to the winter olympics and as you say they're trying to re-engage get more people down and they hear well actually if you go down to the curling it's absolutely pumping down there it's you know with the crowds and stuff like that you're about to walk out onto the ice with your team. What music would you have playing as you walk out onto the ice? Oh, you ask these really easy questions. <laughs> um, we will rock you. Oh, Queen, classic. Can't go wrong with that. And then uh, another funny one we always ask, would you prefer, um, obviously, if you're playing in the mixed with uh, for your partner, whoever that might be, would you prefer them to have a mustache, or would you prefer them to have like you know the mullet, you know like the Aussie mullet, you know short on top, put your party at the back sort of thing? Oh, come on, we're trendy. Let's go trendy. Let's go with the mullet. I love it. I love it <laughs> absolutely. And is there any sort of like iconic sporting jerseys that stick out in your mind? You know, if we had a, if you went to a party, Nathan and I always said if we had a a two hundredth party for our, for all our shows and stuff like that we'd ask people to wear their favorite sporting jersey what would yours be oh well i'm gonna go back to my uh saturday nights as a child watching the nhl and i have to have a habs a montreal canadians <sighs> hockey jersey very good very good even i know what that looks like <laughs> as well. it's very simple and iconic yeah Listen, this is uh, the, often the problem is I feel we could go on for another hour here and I've no doubt we'll end up catching up for a coffee about this and trying to get more of the school kids involved. Karen, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Um, and uh, I dare say we'll hear from you again and hopefully follow up soon enough and hopefully hear how things are progressing in the 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 small but growing world of curling in, in Luxembourg. Thanks for the opportunity, Scott. And as we say on the high on the ice we're really ready to hurry hard hurry hard let's rock the house huh? <laughs> um as always you can catch up on this uh, show from 10 a.m tomorrow you can also tee it up on spotify you've got the rest of the team sam steam from 6 a.m tomorrow steven steps low with the lunchbox at lunchtime obviously melissa dalton with the home stretch i'm getting quite good at rolling all these off at the mm. moment sarah tap with the hangover show and dave burrows and his db3 sessions you've also got the lisa burke show so don't forget about that as always we give a huge shout out to the army of volunteers out there who make our sporting world tick whether it's washing kit marking pitches driving kids around if you're doing anything to get youngsters involved in sport keep doing it because it's a good thing until then until wednesday it's chur chur let's talk sport with rtl today radio 